It's four o'clock on a Monday, and you know what that means. It's time for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live. This week, starring a couple of things, Mr. Henry Winkle on the topic of how to make taxi work for you, a road rally preview. And before we start all that, I'm going to kill the band, boom, kill the audience, and hi guys, let me open up the chat room. Hello, chatters. Um, i got to resize that window. Anyway, hi. Hope you guys are all doing well. Um, what did I want to tell you? I want to tell you that we're doing something coming up on July 11th at 7 p.m. Pacific time that we've never done before in the history of the company, at least nothing that we've ever done publicly before. Uh, we are doing the Taxi Artist Showcase live at Kulak's Woodshed excuse me, Kulak's Woodshed in beautiful North Hollywood, California. Um, we're going to broadcast it live on YouTube for those of you who are around the country and can't make it. Sorry, i got to readjust my camera a little. Um, we're excited about this. Uh, we're having four different artists that are taxi members named Bohan, Athena Renee, Kalina and Kiana, and Trevor Mile. Um, it's going to go 90 minutes? That's right two hours okay um uh, Kulox is a funky cool awesome place it's like your best friend's parents basement where your band used to rehearse but they've got like really good camera set up and we've all been to shows there many times over the years but we're doing this thing it's just a taxi night there and we're going to broadcast it live there are about 42 seats in the place and there's a queen-size bed in the middle of the room that's like the optimal seating um so at some point we're going to open it up we're going to allow the artists who are performing to bring their family and friends and if we've got some extra seats we'll send out invites and all we ask is that when we do that if you say you're coming actually really come because on one hand we don't want a hundred people standing outside that can't get in because the fire marshal would be really ticked off on the other hand we don't want people to say i'm coming and not and have a bunch of empty seats so we will keep you posted um, I'm not going to be in the office next Monday, so Bria and Tom are going to do an episode of the show, and they will give you more details at that point in time. Uh, let's see, what else do I want to do? Um, got the chat. Hello, everybody. Darren, Daryl, Piano Guitar, Lou Lewis, John DuPont, Justin Hagler, Lamar Franklin, Lamont Johnson, Ann House, Sergey Lacoste, Kerry Cox, uh, Patrick Adams, Amcool. Adriana, oh, by the way, uh, Adriana Lisette is now local to the Los Angeles area, and she's going to be our guest on the show. That's new. Bria's going, oh, really? I didn't tell Bria that. <laughs> yes, I confirmed that this morning. Uh, Adriana's going to join us on the show July 9th. Don't know what we're going to talk about yet, but she's been on the show before. She's a great guest. Um, and with that, I am now going to call Mr. Henry Winkle. Uh, where's that? Woohoo, baby. Oops. Yeah. Uh. It's working. I love it when technology works. Ha, ha, ha. 
Hey, Henry, you might want to turn down your uh, speaker yeah. on your computer. How are I you? Just, yeah, I just turned it off. Uh, how are you? I'm, I'm doing fine. Great. Say hi to Peter Rahill real quick, and uh, I think John DuPont, you mentioned his name. Yep. Why say hi to Peter Rahill? What makes him so special? Oh. <laughs> I'm uh, kidding. Oh, well, <laughs> I, I've done, uh, I think it's sense of humor. I know that's we all love Peter that's why I, I hopefully he got my sense of humor because yeah uh, he's a great guy and an avid taxi TV watcher so anyway um, thank you for doing this uh, so uh, give you guys a little backstory can you make it warmer please it feels like the AC might have kicked off because it's taxi TV time uh, yeah that um, Okay, so Henry Winkle lives in what I would call kind of mid-California. He lives about three hours away from the taxi office, and probably, I don't know, three years ago or something, I got an email, and I think I followed up the email with a phone call and got Henry on the phone, and he wasn't a jerk, but he was like, hey, I'm not happy with taxi. He was gentleman-like, but he was very sure-footed and not being happy. Is that a fair statement? Oh, okay. Well, in any case, he showed up here at the office, uh, and we sat down and had probably like an hour-long meeting or something, and uh, it was very respectful, and I genuinely enjoyed meeting Henry and uh, kind of liked him and became like, hey, dude, I'll do whatever it takes to help you find a way to be successful at this company. And dished out a bunch of advice to him, and he was one of the few people that's ever actually listened to me. So I have always appreciated that. And um, so I want to talk about this transition going from a gentleman who was frustrated uh, with himself, with the situation, with not getting anywhere. And by the way, I should mention, he's an extremely accomplished jazz musician. He's really, truly talented. Uh, and, and frankly, uh, an observation I've probably never said publicly before, but our members who are jazz dudes and dudettes uh, are typically really well-educated, highly musical, and have a very high standard and hold us to a high standard. So when a jazz person is expressing their frustration, maybe I pay a little extra special attention. Um, they, they, they know of what they speak. So anyway, um, Henry and I had this conversation, and uh, I, I want to get a little background on you first, Henry. Yes, Bria? Um, they're complaining. The audio's a little. Is there any way that... Oh, the audio's what? Can't they get can't enough? They can't hear him. Okay. So can you move All right. it so they can... All right. I've got the... Can you guys... Henry, talk a little bit so we can find out... Hello? Hi, Michael. All Hi, right. everybody. And he's looking good on the meter. How's that, you guys? Anyway. Uh, all right. That's about as loud as she's going. I've got everything up in the microphone six inches from the phone. So anyway... Um, so, Henry, give us a little background, um, like how long you've been making music, uh, when you decided jazz was your thing, that sort of stuff. Um, I actually just uh, started writing music pretty late. It was, I was in my 30s, but, um, but I started off as a classical pianist and then I decided to get into jazz in my teens. And, um, and when I was 30, I walked into a department store and there was a CZ 101, a Casio CZ 101. Yeah. I had never seen seen a synth before, and so I thought, so well, I want to buy that, and I bought a 
a Yamaha drum machine and I bought a uh, four-track cassette recorder and I thought I was in heaven and <laughs> I started I started recording stuff and it was absolutely horrible but I was the only person who didn't know how horrible it was and so I I, and I didn't know anything about reverb I mean that's how horrible my stuff was and so uh, but I didn't know and I invited my friends over look look what I've composed and uh, they kind of wince and go yeah okay and uh, the amazing thing <laughs> is I still have those friends all wow. these years later well, the the stuff that I've heard of yours, even you know, three years ago, and I listened to some of your stuff on SoundCloud today, was pretty darn good. So nobody's wincing anymore, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> was jazz the the genre that you started out in? No, I started out in classical. Okay, well, okay, those are the other members that are also well educated and hold us to a very high standard. Um, what kind of classical stuff? Modern classical or old dude classical? Um, were you well, composing neoclassical? Yeah, like, like Beethoven. Okay. Uh, Beethoven sonatas and uh, Chopin, and uh, you know. Yeah, I, I saw Hyundai's. I saw a Hyundai Sonata in the parking lot today, but it wasn't being musical. It was just sitting there. Uh, uh -huh. <laughs> well, at least Bria got that one. Um, okay. So, <laughs> um, one of the things, what was the advice? Do you remember? I think you've got a better memory than I do. What was some of the advice that I gave to you during that frustration period? Well, you asked me, um, um, and you know, before I answer that, I got into taxi for all the wrong reasons. Uh, my, my goal was to promote my jazz album. And I've heard other guests on your show kind of say the same thing, where they, they kind of went in ha having one idea, having one plan, and I quickly found out that there weren't a lot of jazz listings, and that in the jazz album, uh, it wasn't lounge jazz. And so the, you know, the few jazz listings I saw were... Um, were for lounge jazz and not kind of jazz fusion smooth jazz that was on my album. Right. So, um, and you know, it was just all the things I didn't know. I thought I knew how to compose music, but I knew nothing about composing for TV. So I didn't know about keeping it simple. And jazz is not simple. Classical music is not simple. And I didn't know about not changing moods. And I was getting a bunch of returns. You know, I was like, I was having the, the first year of blues. I was getting returns, and uh, I wasn't seeing anything happening with my forwards. And uh, you, I watched an episode of Taxi TV where you said it took seven years for a, for a forward to uh, for something to happen with the forward. And so, well, no, not on average, but for one particular case, yeah, there was one that set the record at seven years. Seven years, yeah. yeah. And so, uh, so the advice you gave me, you asked me once I started getting forwards and, and kind of getting it, um, you asked me if I posted my forwards on the forum. And I said, no, because it feels like I'm bragging. And, and you told me, no, you got the wrong idea. Uh, you should post your forwards on the forum because then people who got returns can hear your forward and maybe learn something. And so, um, so I started posting my forwards and that's how I met uh, Paul Cruteau, and um, you know Paul's a, a brilliant saxophone player, and um, we have gotten signed uh, with tracks that I would never have gotten signed with because they needed a saxophone player, and so uh, 
know, I would highly recommend uh, the taxi forums. I'm not on there as much as I should be anymore. But for someone who's new and and um, who wants feedback and, and why did the screener return this track or do you think that this track is is uh, is good for this listing, any of that kind of stuff, when, when you're just starting out, the, the taxi forums can really help you out. I, I think that you're an interesting case because I know you well enough now to know that you know, I don't want to call you a loner, but you're not exactly um, Mr. Social Media Guy. You know, you, you keep yourself, you concentrate on your work, and, and you live in your musical world. By the way, um, I've never seen any pictures of your studio, but my impression just from the stuff that I've heard is that your home studio uh, must be pretty darn good because the quality of the stuff that comes out of there sounds really good. But th that's a whole other issue. So not being Mr. Hey, look at me, social media guy. Uh, you've really come out of your shell, maybe some prodding from me. And one of the things I remember suggesting to you, and I followed up with a phone call, maybe like a year later was, Henry, you gotta go to the road rally. And I, if I remember correctly, your reaction was, well, I'm not really much for social gatherings. Um, and then I was delighted when I saw you outside the ballroom, like in that uh, ballroom foyer area at the road rally, you actually came. How was that experience for you? Well, you had a Taxi TV show, and that was last year, and uh, that was my fourth year with Taxi. And um, it was uh, something like um, 10 tips that will help you succeed in the music business. And I watched that show, and I thought, I am doing everything you're talking about except going to the rally. And, that, and that's when we had that conversation and stuff. And I was like, you know, this year I'm going to go to the rally. And so I, so I um, booked my hotel reservations. But as, as the rally was approaching, I had serious doubts. Of, you know, do I really want to do this? And the answer was, no, I don't. You had said it, it would be life-changing for me also. You said that. And, and, I, and I had doubts about myself. I thought, is this really going to be life-changing for me? Probably not. <laughs> Uh, am I going to am I going to meet somebody who who is going to help me out and get me placement? Probably not. And do um, so I would you know because as you know I moved out of L.A. many years ago to live in the foothills of Sequoia National Forest. And uh, did I want to go? And now when I go back to L.A. to visit friends, it's a madhouse. You know, there's so many people. You're, you people who live there are used to it like I was, but. Uh, now when I think the traffic, the people, it's insanity for me. And so I said, do I want to be cooped up in a place, in a hotel with thousands of strangers? And the, uh, the answer was no. And so in, in my mind, where I do at least 50% of my thinking, the, the um, negatives far outweigh the positives. And so um, I was about to cancel my hotel reservations. And then one day I woke up and I, and I said, you know, the reason I have to do this is because I don't want to. And sometimes you have to do stuff that you just don't want to do. And and I thought that this at least once, based on everything I've read. And, um, you know, uh, uh, Paul, who had, who had been to rallies, told me I'd have a blast. You know, I, I called him and talked, spoke with him. And um, I said, I've got to do this at least once and see if I hate it as much as I'm planning to hate it. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Paul, Paul, and you were, were right. I mean, uh, it, I not only had a blast, I learned so much. I met uh, a library owner, and I met two guitarists, and uh, one was John DuPont, and 
we hung out and had a good time. I met a library owner that, you know, I always thought I knew what it took to be successful, you know, hard work, perseverance, all that stuff. But I also believe, you know, it's a little bit of luck and just meeting that, that one person. Uh, for me, that would be somebody who's well-connected, who liked my music, who could make things happen for me. But my, and, and, you know, my luck happened, that little bit of luck happened at the rally by meeting this library owner and um, and also meeting someone who was already in her, her library, and that was Joe Gother. He's a guitarist and um, was signed uh, with that library. Joe and I started collaborating, and I was signed with that library. And um, that month and the next month, we had two or three placements. And um, I've had placements before, but I've never had the steady stream of placements that this library has gotten both Joe uh, and me. I mean, it's just been uh, almost every week we're on there. So, sometimes we're on there twice, sometimes we're on there twice in an episode. And so um, it, it changed my life that way, and it changed my life personally because Joe uh, and I have become really good friends. We talk all the time. We're always collaborating. Sometimes he comes up with ideas. Sometimes I come up with ideas, and um, and so we, we can churn out stuff twice as quickly as if I were just being my, my loner guy. Right, and that to me is the crux of the story here. That's the headline, is that so many people think they have an image in their own mind of what the music industry is, what the people on the other side of the glass are like, and all these kind of self-imposed um, speed bumps or brick walls that have held them back and I, I give you so much credit because I, I know you're not somebody that likes large gatherings and you went through all this doubt about whether you should go but you did it you pushed yourself you got out of your comfort zone and, and so many people say gee I don't know if I want to fly you know uh, I got a call the other day from a guy he said I'm in Mississippi it would be nearly impossible for me to come to the road rally and I said you should tell that to our members that fly from Australia and Singapore and South America, you're in Mississippi, you're three and a half, four hours away. You gotta come. So I, I love your story because it tells people to get out of your comfort zone and magical things will happen. We can't guarantee it, but more often than not, your story is the story we always hear. Yeah, you know, I, I have a friend of mine and uh, a group of us had gotten together and we told him we're going to go to a Japanese restaurant. And he said, well, I don't like Japanese food. <laughs> and we asked him, have you ever had Japanese food? And he said, no. <laughs> well, I never been to the rally, and I was that guy before I went to the rally. Well, I'm sure glad that you came. Um... So I, I just want to mention, not to do that much of a plug for the rally, but we are like four and a half months out, I think, something like that. And we're just starting to uh, roll out the panels and stuff, which I'll talk about in a little bit. Um, and we just opened up registration for members only right now. Sometime after July 4th, we will open up registration for other people to join Taxi, and then they will be members and they can get their two free passes. But... Um, the Road Rally is Taxi's annual convention. This year it's taking place between November 1st and November 4th here in Los Angeles. And get out of your comfort zone. Come from Mississippi. Come from uh, Singapore, wherever you are, because you will meet other people that are your collaborators. I can't absolutely guarantee that you're going to meet industry people, but it happens all the time. 
you see them on a panel, you're going upstairs to like brush your teeth or something, and you're in an elevator with somebody you just saw on a panel, and have your little speech ready. Um, those moments do happen at the road rally. There are about 16 or 17 panels in the grand ballroom. There are about 75 different breakout classes. They're one-to-one -one mentors. Typically, we've got two shifts of like 30 mentors each, like a, we, on two different days. You get to sit down and spend 15 minutes with an industry mentor of your choice. So there's all this great stuff, but you got to actually get there. And it doesn't cost anything. Every taxi member gets two free tickets. So anyway, uh, enough of my speech about the road rally. Um, so now, what, when was the turning point that you realized that you needed to also get out of your comfort zone musically and, and break away from classical and break away from jazz? Uh, what was the trigger point and what were some of the genres that you started trying? Well, when I started with Taxi for the, for the wrong reason, uh, promoting my jazz album, I quickly realized that uh, there weren't that many uh, listings. The other problem, and you know, this is, I just didn't know what I was doing when I when I started with Taxi. The other problem was um, I didn't know that you had to have 100% ownership. And the saxophone player that I collaborated with, he uh, wrote about five or six of the tracks, and I and I don't know how to get a hold of them, so I can't submit those tracks because I don't own 100%. So I started looking around and dabbling in this and dabbling in that, and I did some orchestral stuff and uh, uh, did this, and then I kind of latched on to tension cues and and found that I had a, a real knack for that. And, and um, one, yeah, I used to get them returned initially, and the screener would say, needs more dynamic change-ups. So what I started doing was I started uh, volume automation on every track. So, so one track fades in, another track is fading out, and it also changes the overall dynamic of, uh, of the entire mix. And I started, once I started doing that, um, I started getting forwards. And um, as it turned, and I started getting signed by libraries. And as it turned out, for a guy who was going in as a jazz guy, 95% of my tracks that are in libraries are tension cues. And would I have ever thought, oh, you know, if I weren't a taxi member, would I have ever thought, I think I'm going to compose a tension cue today. Never. Um, so, Give our viewers who may not really understand, uh, I know that the taxi members watching the show know what tension cues are. Um, can you define what a tension cue is and where it might be used for viewers that aren't familiar? Well, um, you know, there are different kinds of tension cues. There's a, a tension cue where they want a piano accompaniment. There's a tension cue where they want a melody. A lot of tension cues, they want no melodic movement, no, no percussive uh, stuff, and then there are drone cues, there are cues with, with pulses, there are uh, uh, tension cues for reality shows, which are completely different, and I've never really done very well with those, to be honest. Uh, then there are, you know, in the beginning, I had to learn what was the difference between an investigative tension cue or tension cue, because, you know, there would be a listing for, for investigative, and I would get a return and would say, this sounds more like a horror movie then. And, and I had to, you have to figure stuff like that out. What makes this sound like a horror movie? And the answer I came up with, and it might be right or wrong, is it's all about the sounds. You know, there are certain sounds that you hear in a horror movie, and there are certain sounds that are different that you can hear in, in an investigative uh, um, show. 
And so, and so you know, a lot of it is just trying to figure things out. And then so much of it with tension cues, because I've, I've seen in the, in the chat room, I was, uh, one of your TV shows, um, a couple of people were talking about that they were having, that, that tension cues were difficult for them. And, and for me, it's all about the sounds. And you have to be a maniac like me and constantly be looking for uh, the most current sounds, the most cutting edge sounds, and that means you have to go on YouTube, uh, do searches, best orchestral library, uh, best electronic libraries, and, and um, you know, and then when I would, a new tension uh, cue uh, sample library would come up, I just gobble it up. And, you know, it's like, it's like a disease with me. And so, but I was always, uh, it, it's always been that way ever since Keyboard Magazine. You know, you read Keyboard Magazine, I gotta have that. And so, uh, but, but you, you have to do your research, too. I mean, uh, I'll, I'll go to a site of a, of a sample library, and I'll, I'll listen to it on their site. I'll listen to the demos. But that's not enough. You have to go to YouTube and see if you can find reviews for that library and see if you can find tutorials. And so there's, there's a lot involved. And eventually this year, I, I kind of I changed uh, the way that I approach buying sample libraries. And they have to have three criteria. And one is, I have to be blown away by the sounds. I have to say, wow, that's, that's, um, I have nothing that sounds like that. And, and that's getting more and more difficult. And the third criteria is they have to be on sale. And I'll tell you why. This is a perfect example. There's a, there's a company called um, Sonokinetic. And uh, I needed, I wanted orchestral phrase libraries. And that's what they do. They they make orchestral phrase libraries where the orchestra is actually playing a phrase. And um, I bought five of their libraries for thousand dollars. It was a bundle. Um, and anybody who watches American Pickers knows what a bundle is. So this year, I I got an email from them or from, or from another company representing them, and they were selling twenty of their libraries for five hundred dollars. Wow. So. So, you know, eventually, a lot of these libraries, they'll have a 75% off sale, an 80% off, 90% off sale. Perfect example, East West. East West, uh, this year, earlier this year, they were offering their Hollywood strings, their Hollywood brass, um, Hollywood percussion, and Hollywood woodwinds for $265. Now, now compare that, I'm not going to mention the name of the company, but compare that with other companies who were get, who were selling string libraries, only string libraries for eight hundred dollars, you know. So right, a lot of value. You feel like that, you, you can't pass it up. Um, how hard has it been? How hard has the learning curve been for you? You're not like a twenty-three-year-old who grew up with technology in your hands, and uh, but yet you seem to have gotten very comfortable with the technology. Or do you have any tips for fellow viewers who are a little tech phobic? as to how you became um, comfortable and adept at, at working with all this tech? Uh, I watch a lot of YouTube videos. Uh, that's one way. Uh, honestly, Taxi TV, I've learned a lot from Taxi TV. I mean, I mean the, the one tip, I think, that has really helped clean up my mixes, and uh, Ronan, I think that's his name, the engineer, was on a couple weeks ago. Right. He talked about it, and that's, that's scooping out 
all the low frequencies on either every or almost every track, and you'd be amazed at, at what a difference that makes in your mix. Sound advice, no pun intended. Um, how about your work habits? Uh, how long does it take you? Well, obviously different tracks, like if you're doing a classical piece, um, that would take longer than doing a simple drone cue. But, you know, how productive are you? How, because some people will say, oh, it takes me, you know, two weeks to get a cue out. And yet I see taxi members, the, the guys who are making tens of thousands a year, or maybe even across the six figure line, those people seem to average about a cue per day, not maybe for a big, you know, huge orchestral thing, but for your average cue that's got three, four, five, maybe six, seven, eight instruments in it. How have you improved your workflow and how productive are you? Well, uh, that's a really good question because when, when I, and it's a really good reason to do what you call the five-year plan. Because when I started out with Taxi, it would take me maybe four or five days um, to do a, a cue. And now I'm turning them out like one or two a day. Wow. And so, and so what's great about turning out that many cues is you don't get married to any one cue because you forget about it. And, uh, you know, in the beginning, I was married to my cues. And when I got a return, I thought, why did I get a return? But... Um, and then the screen would tell me, this is why you got to return. And I'd say, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. Well, now, um, if you're composing a, a cue a day, you don't get married to them anymore. And it's, uh, you know, um, you, you just get better at what you do over time, which is true with anything. And you get faster at, at what you do. And, that, and that's what's happened with me. If you were married to your cues, they'd all be tension cues. <laughs> I wish I could hear the audience laughing, but oh well. Um, and has anything changed in your attitude about creating music? Uh, specifically, I guess what I'm asking is that some people do get married, using your term, uh, very much married to their music, and they feel like they, they're very precious about stuff. Um, have you found that you can still create music that you feel good about? that is challenging you and you're proud of it, but you know, if somebody doesn't like it or somebody doesn't sign it to their library or it doesn't get used in a TV show, eh, no big deal. Um, how hard was it to cross that chasm from everything you create is, is genius, the last thing you created was the best thing you've ever created, and now you've become, I hate to use the phrase, almost more factory-like, let's call it productive. Um, have you noticed any lack of creativity or or not? No, no, I haven't. And, um, you know, some people think, well, um, if, if I don't compose jazz and I go into tension cues, that's kind of a cop-out. I love doing tension cues. You know, I, I love doing jazz. I love doing tension cues as, as much. And a lot of times uh, I look at a tension cue as composing especially if it's, it's a tension cue that says no melodic development, you know, right. like, like a drone cue, for instance. And so I, I look at that more as putting together a jigsaw puzzle and just finding the right sounds, blending them in and out with each other. And that's why you have to have great sounds, you know. Um, and it's, it's not really composing, it's a jigsaw puzzle, but it's equally fun. 
Um, let's play something of yours. Uh, Bria, what do you have queued up? Uh, I have uh, three different ones. I have a jazz attention and an electronic action. Okay, so Bria's got jazz tension and electronic action. Let's listen to about 30 to 45 seconds of the jazz thing, and then let's play um, a, the tension cue so that we can show everybody kind of the transition. Okay. Let me know when you're ready. I'm ready. obviously some sweet jazz and now let's listen to attention cue job. Uh, that cue had something really special going on, which is you stayed within a singular mood, and yet you had all these little components that were kind of flying in and out of there, and it didn't get too busy. It, it wouldn't distract you. If it were in a scene, it wouldn't distract you, but it creates a textural thing, which is a lot of what a tension cue has to do. It's kind of like being seen but not heard, in this case, heard but not noticed. Um, you know, 
could make your skin crawl, or make you sweat a little bit, or make you lean forward and look at your TV even more. Uh, all, all these things attention cues can do, and, and you executed that beautifully, Henry. Well, thanks. I, I just wanted to uh, say that first track was a, um, was a collaboration with Joe, and uh, it was, uh, we did that about two, two weeks ago, and, and it, it, uh, it got signed. By the by, the library owner who I met at the rally, right? And um, and the the other track, the other two tracks are are me, and uh, I'm not going to give Joe any credit for those. <laughs> I'm sure Joe appreciates that in some weird way. <laughs> um, let's see. I'm looking down my list of questions to see if there's anything I thought of asking you that I haven't touched on yet. Uh, when you first, um, before you joined Taxi, um, any time that you might have heard composing for film and TV, was that something where, what was the image you had when you heard the phrase film and TV music or composing for film and TV? Was the image that you had in your mind um, different than what you find yourself doing? Um, oh, absolutely, yeah. How yeah, so? Absolutely. I mean, I mean um, the things that I didn't know, uh, you could write a book about it, <laughs> or somebody could write a book about it, you know. Uh, I mean, you have, you've had, um, oh, I, I forget what his name is now, but uh, he's a guitarist, and uh, uh, Steve Barton, right. you, you've had him, him on the show, and, and he had a show where he showed how simple uh, his stuff is. And he gets placements, you know. And I, I really had to learn, I really had to get my ego out of the way. Because when you're doing an album, you want people to listen to it and go, wow, that's really good. But that's not what you want when you're composing for TV. Uh, I had a friend of mine call, and she said, you know, every time they play your music on that show, they play it so soft, it's, it's just not right. And I said, well, you know, it's, it's uh, background music, and it's, um, <laughs> uh, it's it's all about the dialogue, and so you have to make your music dialogue friendly. And then she said, I, I don't know, it just doesn't seem fair. And I said, well, people don't tune into that show to hear my music. They tune in to watch the intrigue and the drama and the dialogue. And besides which, the important thing is it's a placement, you know, and I get paid the same whether they play it loud or whether they play it so you can barely hear it. <laughs> oh, man, that's going to be my quotable quote from Henry Winkle is I get paid the same whether it's played loudly or, or they can't hear it. I love that. Um, wow, great advice. Is there any sage advice that you've got kind of generally for people who've been watching Taxi for years but haven't joined yet or people who are new to Taxi? You know, just you're you're now the the wise old salt uh, in a very short amount of time, I might add. So, any big advice you want to pass along? Yeah, well, you know, there's the typical stuff. There's it's going to require hard work and tenacity. And I think just about every musician who is confident with um, with their instrument has those right away. You uh, you also have to have confidence that your mixes and your tracks are as good as anything that's out there. And if they're not, then you have to find out find out why. Uh, it's important to continue to learn. 
uh, you know, I watch YouTube videos almost every day. That's how I, how I spend my morning after I take a walk. I watch YouTube videos on orchestration. I'll watch YouTube videos on just, just about everything related to music. And so, so you want to continue to learn. You want to continue to improve musically. And uh, from a mixing standpoint, um, you have to be able to take rejection. Because if you can't take rejection, uh, maybe you should consider chopping wood for a living. Because <laughs> you know, and, that, and that's really what a return is. A return is someone saying, this doesn't work. But a return is also somebody saying, and here's the reason why. And the returns I like the most are, and here's what you can do to fix it. And, and let me just add, uh, there's nothing wrong with chopping wood for a living. So all you angry wood choppers out there, don't send me an angry email. Send them to Michael because he's the host of the show and he's so responsible for the content. That's right. <laughs> and Henry does stand-up as well. <laughs> I'm glad one of us is being funny today. Actually funny. Yeah. Uh, so get married to your music. And that's a lot easier the longer you keep at it. Because, uh, I've said this before, if I'm spending four or five days um, creating or writing a cue, uh, I'm kind of married to it. You know, I spend four or five days writing that. If I spend one day and then the next day I'm on to the next and then the next day I'm on to the next, uh, I forget what I've done last month, and so uh, you know, in the beginning, that's a little, that's a little more more difficult. Uh, like we talked about, you, if you're going to write for TV, you need to check check your ego, and um, you know that's 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 what I would say. I think it's really important to continue to learn, uh, and especially about mixing, because my mixes are better now uh, than they were when I started with Taxi, and that's. Uh, and, and there are a lot of YouTube uh, videos on mixing, and um, it's it's all very very helpful stuff. And you, you know, if you keep at it, uh, you, you talk about the five year plan, and, and and you said that that was that the people who came up with that were successful taxi members, and that was interesting to me. I mean, I was planning to stick up for five years anyway, but I got my first royalty check, and and my second in my fifth year with, with Taxi. It took me, you know, the first four years, it was a giant money sink. I'm not talking Taxi, I'm talking about all the all the sample libraries that, that I bought. But, um, you know, I don't know what's so magical about that, that fifth year, but it certainly worked for me. You know what's magical about it is the last guy on the field always wins the game, and so many people give up, literally in their first year, half of new members of Taxi will give up probably halfway through the first year. And the reason is because they come into it thinking, I'm the shiz, my music is really awesome, everybody's gonna hear it, Taxi's screeners are gonna forward it, some dude in Hollywood is gonna hear it and go, wow, you're a friggin' genius. Um, and they don't understand everything that you've explained in the last 45 minutes on this show. They think it's about the music when it's really about the right music for the right circumstance or the right moment or the right emotion. If the music is rare, at least in, the, in you know, film and TV land, music is not the star of the show. And just because it isn't the star of the show doesn't mean that you are a lesser musician or a lesser composer. You still have, have to master another craft, which is making music that 
stays on a single emotion and yet elevates it, supports it, elevates it, moves it forward. Those are all crafty things that I think a lot of people don't understand. Therefore, they just make this kind of general assumption that it is somehow or, you know, or other a bastard stepchild, and it's not. So um, also you brought up one other point, and I, I want this to be kind of the point that we send everybody home with, which is musicians often say, oh my goodness, taxi is so expensive. It's really not, it's 300 bucks a year. And, you know, oh, coming to the road rally, I'll have to buy a plane ticket for three or $400. Um, but yet they completely understand that if you were to open a pizza place or a car mechanics garage or an accounting firm or any kind of small business, there's always an investment. And when you look at the amount of money, you know, you talk about spending a thousand dollars on all kinds of software or whatever amount of money you've spent in total now during the five years, isn't it by comparison really small to what it would cost to start up most other businesses?
you bring up a really key point, which is uh, collaboration matters. But you know, a lot of people say to me, well, I know a sax player in my hometown, I know a guitar player. The difference between Taxi's members that you meet at the road rally, meet online in our forum, and even meet in the chat room here at Taxi TV, is they're like-minded people that have the knowledge and the experience now because of Taxi, they understand the drill. They're not just a good sax player. They're not just a good guitar player. They're good sax players and good guitar players and good whatever players that understand the same things that you now understand about music composition for TV or film or whatever. So it really takes it up a notch, and I'm glad that you've been able to take advantage of that. So with all that, I, I want to wish you well and say that I'm excited to see you in a few short months at the Road Rally coming up November 1st through the 4th. Um, I'm just so grateful that you actually took my advice and you got out of your comfort zone and you came last year. And I'm telling you, for me personally, Henry, walking around that corner and seeing your face, I'm very busy at the Road Rally. A lot of people tugging on me, a lot of things I have to remember to do, a lot of stuff I have to check in with the staff about. It was a moment for me last year, seeing you at the Road Rally, and I just remember thinking, wow, he actually came. I hope it's everything I promised. And it sounds like it was, so thank you for uh, trusting me. Thank you for getting out of your comfort zone, and thank you for being an awesome example of what the best of taxi members can be. It's, it, you're. I'm loving the fact that you're succeeding, so thank you for sharing it with us. Hey, no problem. All right. I, uh, I enjoy being here. You know, the funny thing, two things. First of all, you haven't played my, my third track. I, I don't know why you're not playing my third track. It's, uh, it, it's sort of, you know, I'm, I'm turning into a frustrated taxi member now, not being my third track. <laughs> we'll play it. You know, sometimes it just takes an independent, uh, objective set of ears to notice what maybe you can't because you're too close to it. So what's the name of this piece? And let's have Bria play it. It's called Prison Break. Prison Break. Oh, I've heard this one. I love it. All right, go ahead. Hit that button.
That was awesome, Henry. I am just so incredibly proud of, of how far you've come and the quality of what you're making. Just you're nailing, buddy. And uh, I will see you in four months and one week. And congratulations once again. And thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Hey, thanks, Michael. It was a pleasure. My pleasure. I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Henry Winkle, ladies and gentlemen, the one and the only Henry Winkle. I love that guy. He's such a great example of what taxi can do for people. And, uh, you know, the road rally, it's coming up in four months and one week. Oof, whack myself in the face. That is the beginning of every new road rally. When I cross out the year previous or previous year, if you speak English, uh, and write in the new year, so I am going to share with you, I've got most of the panels figured out. There are a few things that I've already had to go, nah, can't do that. All this is subject to av availability of the panelists. Um, sometimes the best ideas end up not happening on the stage because somebody can't make it. And uh, But so far this year, and I would say probably 85 to 95% of what I'm going to tell you is coming up at the road rally will actually happen. Um, I'm doing something really different this year uh, that I've never done before. Last year, there was a young lady, uh, a video editor, who does a lot of reality TV. And before she was a video editor, she was a story editor. So she really gets it. She's sharp. Um, I asked her to join us and show how she chose music for the reality series um, and how she placed it, how she edited it, how she thought about it as she was putting it in there. Would it carry you from this mood to that mood? Would it make a good transition from one scene to another? Um, I learned something from her that I'd never heard before, which is a single thought, um, a thing, is called a beat to editors. Now, in my world, in our you know mutual world, a beat is boom, 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 coming out of a box or out of a drum. But in her world, a beat is uh, that guy is pulling into the driveway in his Corvette. So as long as the scene is on that guy in his Corvette, that's a beat. Now, the minute that guy gets out of the car, walks into the house, that begins another beat. So little things like that are really important. And you won't learn that from a book. You won't learn it in a college course, but you will learn it at the road rally. So Laurel Ostrander uh, is starting this year's road rally because I was frankly disappointed. We had three or 400 people in the ballroom for her last year. And the people that were in there said that might've been the single best thing I've ever seen at any road rally. And this is our 22nd one coming up. So that gives you a little perspective how powerful that was. So I am literally starting out the road rally with her and we're going to have her in the ballroom for an hour and 45 minutes showing you guys what a scene is like with no music, describing what she needs music to accomplish in these scenes, and then she will audition various pieces of music, tell you why she decided on something, then lay it in there, probably edit it, probably um, edit the tale to coincide with the end of a scene or the end of a beat. And you watch this and you go, oh my gosh, now I totally get it. Because up till seeing this lady, you've probably been creating music in a vacuum. You read the taxi listings, you listen to other people's work. And, excuse me, that was a rock star burp right there. Um, and you create music, but if you can think like an editor and understand what they need the music to do, your music is gonna get so much better and so much more usable. 
which is really important. If you want to make money doing this, your music's got to be usable by the people who need to use it. So don't miss that. And uh, frankly, we're not going to have any classes running upstairs during this first panel because I want everybody in the ballroom for this thing. It cannot be missed. After that, uh, at 11.15, we are going to present longtime taxi member Matt Hurt, who many, many, many of you know. Um, he's kind of the godfather of everything the members have learned um, the five-year plan, write, submit, forget, repeat. Matt may not have specifically come up with those phrases, but he was the genesis of the group of our most advanced members years ago that kind of hung together and drank a lot of red wine at the road rally. Um, Matt is moving back to Switzerland, and we're brokenhearted about that, but we're presenting him with a Lifetime Achievement Award, but in the context of the John Brahaney Award. Every year now we give out um, what we call the JB, the John Brahaney Award. Um, John was um, an early, early um, consultant uh, to Taxi and kind of a, a, a godfather to me, if you will. A bit of a brother, a bit of a dad, certainly a great friend and a great friend to songwriters. Uh, he was, I think, 25 years with the LA Songwriter Showcase. And uh, so we give out a JB Award. So this year we're giving Matt Hurt a lifetime Achievement Award in the context, it'll also say John Brahaney's name on it. The reason for that is that Matt Hurt met myself and Doug Minnick, who was our vice president of Taxi at the time, at a booth at the LA Songwriter Showcase. Um, and that's what convinced him to join Taxi and really kind of set him on his path. Uh, he's definitely a six-figure income earner from doing TV and film music, does incredibly good work and has so much wisdom to share, so I'm really glad we're gonna get him on the stage. Um, then we're breaking for lunch, uh, and on Friday we will have uh, what's called the mentor lunch, which is the only thing we charge for, and that's just because somebody's gotta pay for the food. Um, the mentor lunch is, I think, 35 bucks, I think? Yeah. Okay. Um, and we can only fit 300 people. It's in an upstairs ballroom. And basically what it is is 30 round tables with 10 seats, actually 11 seats at each table. And we put a mentor at each table and every 15 minutes we rotate the mentors so that during the course of the lunch you get to see four, five, six different mentors. It's amazing how many people have handed a CD or a thumb drive or something to somebody during that uh, mentor lunch and six months later they got a phone call or an email um, so the mentor lunch not just there for making deals but you get to meet your fellow members you get to meet the mentors and you know what you're going to spend that much on lunch in the hotel anyway might as well make it um oh we're actually changing the name this yeah, year what are we going to call it it's music industry eat that's right. Music industry, eat and greet. You get to eat all the music industry people you can stomach, which probably wouldn't be a whole lot. <laughs> okay, then, um, you know what? I'm not going to tell you what the next thing is because we haven't inked it yet. Um, I'm, I'm just not going to mention it. It's something that would be very special to all of us. Um, followed by, uh, at 5 o'clock, uh, from or actually from 5.15 to 6.30, we're gonna do a whole panel on vintage music. Uh, as you guys probably know by now, if you're taxi members, um, we work with a, a couple of different publishers. One in particular is kind of the, the, the king of the hill, if you will, for placing vintage music. Um, 
So we're going to have somebody from that company on stage with me. We're going to talk about why vintage music. I mean, we're talking music from the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. 80s and 90s lately have been having a nice run. Why vintage music, actual music that was recorded in the 80s or recorded in the 60s, works so much better in a TV show that is about the 60s or about the 80s. And sometimes they use it uh, to juxtapose something. They could use, you know, like big band swing stuff from the mid 40s in a current contemporary scene um, because it just works, it, it adds a vibe. So we're gonna discuss all that. We're also gonna play a bunch of stuff. And if I have enough time, which I think I will, we're gonna squeeze in listening to some audience music. So uh, those of you who are coming to the Road Rally, if you've got stuff that you recorded, and I'm talking demos, stuff that you might've even recorded on a TAC 4-track back in the 70s, that stuff can get used in film and TV. It doesn't have to be pristine sounding master quality music. Sometimes the vibe is much more important than the actual uh, recording quality. So hopefully we'll be able to listen to that stuff. Um, then Saturday, uh, let's see, Saturday morning. Let's see if I can read my own writing here. Oh, uh, multiple paths to a six-figure income. I'm going to have three panelists, um, one who's a specialist in doing instrumentals for film and TV, somebody else who does songs for film and TV, and somebody else who's a writer-producer for records. And we're going to discuss kind of the, the career arc of those three things, followed by the one, the only, Robin Frederick. Um, and she and I are in discussions this year. We're going to try and do something a little different than we've done. First of all, Robin always packs the ballroom. She's amazing. Um, one of the, the, the best presenters year after year after year. This year, we're going to try and have Robin doing some live critiques in the ballroom, which she's certainly done on the show a lot, but never in the ballroom. So we're going to try. Um, we haven't absolutely inked that yet, but I'm twisting her arm, and I think that she'll be great at it. Um, then we have Mentor Lunch 2 on Saturday from 12.15 to 2.15. Um, something that I've got on the schedule that I haven't absolutely locked in yet, but I'm pretty sure it's going to happen, which is music and advertising. Uh, because you know what? Something that might be great for a TV show, might be great for an episodic drama, um, wouldn't be great for a reality TV show. Something that's great for a reality TV show might not be good for an episodic drama, probably wouldn't be. And probably neither of those things are really right for advertising. So adverti music for advertising, and I'm not talking jingles, talking about a Nike commercial or maybe a Subaru commercial or it could be a Home Depot commercial. It's a whole different mindset and a different way to create music and the things that are important in, in music for advertising. Those are things we're going to talk about as well as playing examples and doing some Q&A. Following that, at 3.45, from 3.45 to 5.15, we're going to do a music supervisor listening and feedback panel where we actually draw stuff randomly that the audience members um, give us and the music supervisors comment on it. And every now and then somebody says, I need that, I want that. So those are pretty special moments. Um, last year at 5.30 on Saturday, um, we did something that I really thought was valuable, which is I had two music supervisors, uh, Mason Cooper and Frank Palazzolo on stage, two of the smartest, most knowledgeable, kind of practical people I know in the industry. I really hold them in high esteem. 
And I just had them come up on stage. We did kind of a happy hour thing. I bought them a couple of drinks, invited the audience to hit the bar if they wanted. Um, it was late in the day, everybody's a little tired, but I knew the information would be really good. One thing that kind of disappointed me about that was some of the audience members asking the questions would, you know, here are two great music supervisors, an audience member would get up and ask a question like, so if I create a different version of my song, should I copyright the new version uh, of the song? In other words, um, if I have a song and there's a version with a vocal and somebody asks me to do a version without a vocal, do I need to separately copyright the version without a vocal? Now that's a very valid question, but it's not the best question for a music supervisor. That would be a better question for a music attorney or a publisher. So this year, what I'm gonna do is have two supervisors and two publishers, film and TV specific publishers, on the panel for the happy hour. And that way we've got all of our bases covered. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm getting a bit of a dry throat. Must be time for a little rock star, one of the sponsors from the Road Rally. You know what else it's time for? If you haven't hit that subscribe button right down there in the corner, do it now. If you haven't liked us, do that now. And remember, share it with a friend, even if you don't have any. Just share it with anybody. YouTube loves it when you guys share it. And we love YouTube to love us. So share, share, share. Um, and I'm not talking Sonny and share. I'm talking that kind of share. Okay. Uh, then, let's see, where am I? Um, am I on Sunday? I am on Sunday. Wow, this road rally is going really fast. Um, Sunday morning, um, 9.30 to 10.45, working faster than you ever thought possible. This is a real issue. People get bogged down. Um, we were talking about this with Henry a few minutes ago, how it used to take him days to do something that he can now do in a half a day or a whole day. So people get bogged down, they get too involved, too precious, and um, it takes them so long to do a piece of music that they get married to it, and then they're, they're disappointed when nothing happens for it or nothing happens quickly enough for it. So I'm gonna get some of our members who I think are all-stars at creating great music in a big hurry, and we're gonna do a deep dive into how it was that they went from being kind of slow and thinking about it and worrying too much about the mix to becoming really super fast and productive and still cranking out A-plus material. After that, um, we're going to do how music is used in trailers and TV promos. Then there's a lunch break, which on Sunday there is no mentor lunch, so you can eat anywhere. Just anywhere, McDonald's, Burger King, Taco Bell, um, all the good places. Then from 2.15 to 3.30 after lunch. Um, this one I don't have locked down yet, but I'm, you know, actually I wouldn't mind a little feedback in the chat room from you guys. We never really discuss scoring because taxi, we're not in the business of helping people gain employment. We're all about licensing. But I know that there are a lot of people in the audience that would love to score a TV show or love to score a film. And it's a tough gig to get. There are a lot of people in Los Angeles in particular that are very capable scoring people, whether it's independent films or mid-sized features or blockbusters. Um, so if you guys like this idea, 
I'd like to bring somebody, I, I know several people who do scoring, um, one lady in particular that I'm rather fond of, um, although she doesn't know it, and I don't mean fond like I'm replacing my wife anytime soon, I mean fond of her career. Um, she does mid-sized stuff, and I've watched her go from doing smaller stuff to mid-sized stuff, and I really have very little doubt that someday uh, we will see her name attached to a, a big budget blockbuster feature film. And so I'm thinking about having her be there um, to answer your questions. First of all, we'll play some of her stuff. We'll talk about how she's grown into the role, and we'll talk about how she's graduated from doing basically student films to doing bigger stuff. And, and you know, part of it is conducting. Uh, imagine walking onto a soundstage, um, you know, like the Newman Scoring Stage, and you know, having 80 pieces in front of you, and you're now conducting those 80 pieces. Not only are you conducting, but you've got to be able to hear if there's a rub between the violin part and the viola part, or the oboe, you know, um, on, on the chart is coming in a measure late. You've got to be able to know all that stuff and know how it's affecting the scene, and there's just so much to it. So does that sound like something? I've got one, one person. Um, I'm not going to say who she is yet. Uh, I'm keeping it a secret, Dell. <laughs> I'm getting some plus ones on scoring. All right, that's something I don't think we've ever done before. And I know this woman, um, I've never asked her to do this. I know that, uh, I know her well enough to get her to come. So that's, uh, I can't say it's inked, but it's a high probability. Um, and then some sort of music industry business panel, uh, which we usually do late in the afternoon on Sunday. And then we end the rally every year with um, what we affectionately call the happy ending pitch panel because it's the end and we're really happy about it. Uh, happy that we get to go home and go to work Monday morning after working our butts off all weekend at the rally. Um, and basically we get a couple of record people, a couple of film and TV people, um, uh, and we sit there and pull stuff out of boxes and do live critiques and have a good old time and then we just wrap up that road rally and go home. So that's it. Um, also, like I said, we'll have somewhere in the neighborhood of 75 classes on every topic you can possibly imagine, plus one-to-one -one mentoring where you can sit down with a music supervisor, a music library owner, um, a record producer, an engineer, um, an artist manager, um, a social media marketing expert, all that stuff um, is available to you for 15 minutes. Sit down, ask questions. So there it is. I'm done. I could go home now. But no, we've got 19 minutes left. So if you guys have any questions about the rally, um, which is November 1st through the 4th, and let me remind you once again, the Taxi TV Live Artist Showcase, first time we're ever doing this, will be held on Wednesday, July 11th. It's 7 p.m. Pacific time. We're gonna be broadcasting live from Kulak's Woodshed in North Hollywood, California. The artists that will be performing at our inaugural event are Bo Han, Athena Renee, Kalina and Kiana, and Trevor Mayall. Mayall, sorry, not related to John Mayall. Dun, 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 for those of you who know John Mayall, only the old dudes, right? Anyway, any questions? No questions.
the tattoo panel hasn't been inked yet. You know, we should do that. We should do a drawing and somebody gets tattooed live on stage. But the tattoo's got to be a big taxi on a butt cheek. <laughs> but it'll be free. I'll pick up the tab. Oh, open mics. Yes, there will be two open mics. Um, we do an open mic in the, we have a 200 seat theater that's kind of like a fancy little Hollywood screening room. Um, and then another uh, smaller ballroom than the one that's downstairs um, that we set up kind of more like a club atmosphere. So we do open mics on Thursday night, Friday night, and Saturday night. Three nights of two open mics each night. And House says the taxi tramp stamp. <laughs> I love it. Someone asked when in July does registration open? Oh, okay. Um, registration is currently open for taxi members right now. Obviously, registration is just for taxi members. You've got to be a member to get your two free tickets. Um, we haven't started advertising it to um, people who are getting ready to join taxi or to former members because we just want to make sure that the system was stable over the past weekend or so, but it is open right now and Bria is putting in a link so that you can go there if you're a taxi member. I put the link in the chat. Okay, she put the link in the chat. So if you're a taxi member, and we actually have it now so that joining or signing up for the road rally happens within your taxi member homepage. Um, question, did Michael know David Bianco? Nope. Michael did not. Does the road rally ever come to Nashville? Nope, it does not. Um, it is, everybody asks this question, why don't you do a road rally in Chicago? Why don't you do a road rally in Dallas? Why don't you do one in Nashville? Uh, why don't you spend 300 bucks and buy a plane ticket? That's <laughs> what I'm saying. <laughs> because look, we, we get about 100 different speakers and panelists. Uh, for us to fly them all out, get them two, three, four nights of hotel each, um, and bring, you know, like half a semi's worth of gear out to do the road rally so that you don't have to buy a $300 plane ticket. I got to be honest, that's not going to happen. Um, this is where we are. This is where the road rally is. Spend 300 bucks. You know what? If you save 80 cents a day, you can afford to come to the road rally. Um, scratch the Starbucks. You don't really need that Starbucks. You know, you can make coffee at home. It's a lot cheaper. Um, You'd be surprised if you just skipped your cup of Starbucks every day and made coffee at home, you could afford a taxi membership. You'd get your two free tickets to the road rally. You'd get a plane flight and probably cover your hotel. All you have to do is give up Starbucks. They're going to murder me when I walk out of the office tonight. I know it. Um, any other questions? Dean Crepain is laughing. I like that. Hi, Dean. How are you? I love Dean, uh, or Rockstar every day. Now, you know what? You know what's better than Rockstar? Free Rockstar, <laughs> it's left over from last year's road rally. Um, Mojo Bone makes coffee at home, so do I. Uh, you know what, gotta tell you, a little plug for uh, Costco's, uh, what's it called, the, do you remember Espresso. the stuff? The espresso rose from Costco in the red and white bag is like wickedly good coffee. And you get this giant, like two pound bag for $9.99, I think. 
it's such a good value. We're all about good value taxi. So with that, I'm going to bid you guys adieu. Hello, Dean. Um, I won't see you next week. I'm going to be out of the office next Monday. So you're going to have Bria and Tom doing an episode of Taxi TV. And that's on July 2nd. And then on Monday, July 9th, we will have the lovely Adriana Lisette join us. With that, I bid you guys adieu. See you in two weeks. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye, you guys. <laughs>